This is the Best Run Podcast. Brought to you by SAP. Hello everybody and welcome to today's edition of the Best Run Podcast, brought to you by SAP. Today in the studio we have two guests with us. We have Irfan Khan all the way from the UK and Irfan is the president of SAP HANA Database and Analytics. Welcome. Lovely to be here, thank you. And we have Rob Spinks. So Rob is the head of business technology platform for Australia New Zealand. Welcome, Rob. Thanks, Roshanka. It is uh, great to be here. And we're going to be talking about unleashing the power of data today. And we're going to go first into a very exciting launch that we just conducted, which is SAP Datasphere. And we'll get some insights into what that is. And then we'll talk about data fabric versus business data fabric and also some new partnerships that we have on the horizon. So tell us what's brought you here. I've been here now approaching 12 years uh, and I have global responsibility for research and development for the portfolio around database analytics planning Mm -hmm. and the capabilities that we have exposed through the business technology platform. And the reason that I'm here is, as you just described it, we have a a very exciting and interesting launch event that we've just uh, performed. And uh, we also have a BTP forum that's taking place in Sydney and also in Melbourne. So I'm looking forward to meeting with some, some very significant customers of ours in the region. Great. Rob, what have you been up to? Oh, um, I'm. Uh, what have I been up to? I feel like I've been very busy. We've had <laughs> lots of uh, lots of guests, and this this uh, this launch is also really really exciting for us. I think it it um, creates some great potential for our customers and addresses some yeah. pretty big problems that we've been hearing about. So, I'm a three year veteran at um, SAP, and I head up the business technology platform go to market initiative. So. Um, Great to be reacquainted with Irfan and thanks for coming out to support us. It's awesome. Super. So tell us more about the Datasphere launch. So the Datasphere, let's maybe unpack that a little bit because Datasphere in itself is a, is a, a new product or new service from SAP. But if we go back over the last probably, I would say last 10 years or so, SAP has been really, really quite active in the data space. And for those of you who are following SAP, you will recognize that we've had this thing called HANA for a number of years. HANA actually has gone through quite a significant evolution in the last couple of years. It became HANA Cloud. So HANA Cloud is really a modern cloud-native database data management system, and it utilizes quite a lot of capabilities that now Datasphere will be built upon. So things like, for example, federation. And in the world of federation, this is really a constant problem that many customers have is, do you want to consolidate all of your data, land it into a new modern stack, whatever that might be, and in the interim, you know, as you move the data around, you have to somehow keep the two environments in sync. So therefore, you, know, you have to really look at the broader issues that you run into here. So the data sphere in itself is there to provide three capabilities that we want to give to every single customer. Universally, this is what we hear from customers. They want to be able to do self-service against all of the data in a trusted fashion. They want to be able to access the data irrespective of where it may reside. So could it be on-premise? It may be in a public or private cloud environment. And the fact is that they want to have one single user experience across all of that data. And then thirdly, they really want to simplify their IT landscapes. You know, for the most part, we've introduced new technologies and we've almost insisted customers have to move their data to these new technologies. And with the data sphere, the whole idea is that keep your data where it is and essentially move the technology to where the data physically is. That's what Datasphere is really aiming to do for our customers. And I hear that you had record interest in the launch. Uh, Rob, what have you heard from customers here? Well, it's been pretty exciting already. We've, we had a, um, uh, a bit of a, another mini roadshow just recently where we got to sort of 
socialize the idea of data sphere before we even knew what it was called um, just only a couple of weeks ago. And I think the really important thing or the really exciting thing for me was everyone, everybody that we spoke to shared a common sort of problem. They all spoke about running their ECC or their S4 um, you know, ERP systems and the challenge that they had in um, taking data out of those. And there's SAP data, there's non-SAP data, and the data lake is predominant, right? So everybody's sort of taking data out, trying to reconstruct it. They lose all of the context. They lose all of the semantic layers. They lose the, um, you know, the, the intent for what it's all there and then spend time recreating it all. Yep. So everyone that we've sort of spoken to, I went to about 16 or 17 customers, um, in the, in the last couple of weeks, every single one of them were pretty excited to hear more about what Datasphere is and how it's going to be able to help them. Can you tell us, Fern, what the difference is between data fabric and business data fabric? Yeah, so that's a little subtlety between the two. I mean, of course, just because we stick business in front of it doesn't necessarily make it completely, completely different. So therefore, there's a lot of commonalities, in fact. So let's maybe take a, a wider maybe aperture view of what the concept of a data mesh or a data fabric actually complies with. Majority of customers would desire to have some kind of a virtualization layer around all of the data assets. Mm -hmm. And there are three principal characteristics that we see that are referenced when people talk about a data mesh or a data fabric. The first one is that they want to look at data, perhaps in an aggregate view. Think about it in the ERP context. We have an invoice as an example, that's a data product. It's a product of multiple different components. It could be the invoice line items. It could be the order line items. So all of these things in aggregation is considered to be a data product and an invoice could be a data product. So in the data mesh, data, data fabric space, the ability to create or construct data products is one of the prevalent requirements. The second thing is that imagine just as Rob described, I mean, we've got customers who have got vast expanses of data living on premise in, in existing systems like ECC or, or even S4, that's one component of the customer landscape. And there are many, many, many other data sets within the customer environment. What we don't want to force customers to have to do is to physically move the data to be able to govern the data. That seems completely redundant. So the governance of the data really needs to be where the physical data physically is residing. So the, the effectively where the data sits is where you need to govern it. And then the third element really is, is the ownership of the data. More often than not, you have a domain of ownership, the payroll department, the HR department, the marketing department. Each of the domain owners will typically manage the creation of the data and also how you would then integrate with the data. So those three characteristics are really common within a data mesh or within a data fabric. And now if I put the word business fabric on top of that, business data fabric, we're talking about making sure, just as Rob described it earlier on, that we don't lose the semantical value of the data when the data is physically moved from one environment across to another. Or at the same time, you don't lose any of the, the, the context or the metadata associated with that data. So I gave you that example of an invoice. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you just went into the, the underlining database, for example, and you pulled a, you know, maybe some of the data associated with an invoice. You couldn't reconstitute an invoice again because you need all of the attributes, all of the entities that make up that data product. So the idea is that really the problem space and the definition of a business data fabric really is just to describe retaining and of course trying to amplify the value of data through self-service without losing any of those key capabilities that you would have created so much time or spent so much time actually building up over time as well. Can Did I you want to add something? Yeah, well, I just wanted to, you know, ask you to expand on that a little bit more, Irfan. So, um, 
I, I was hearing security was a real issue mm -hmm. as well. So is that also, you know, part of what we're delivering through Datasphere as well? Yeah, I mean, so if you think about firstly, in the context of a business data fabric, mm. then yes, absolutely, you'd want to preserve privacy, data lineage, data governance. And I've just described data governance, meaning data governance is typically where the source of the data resides. Mm. So privacy and lineage is really, now as we maybe expand on, the, on, the, on your question a little, in terms of the, the data sphere, and what does it really entitle customers to be able to do? And while I'll talk about a little bit in, in a while as well about the partnerships that are necessary here, mm. we want to represent the customer stack. And this is not about an SAP stack or a Microsoft Azure stack or any other vendor stack. The customer stack, by definition, is extremely heterogeneous. Mm -hmm. You have pretty much all of the different vendors playing in their customer's environment. And therefore, when you look at the best of breed examples, maybe uh, Calibra, which is one of the partnerships that we've curated as part of our launch event, they are leaders as it relates to data privacy, data lineage, data governance, et cetera. Now, of course, we have a lot of those capabilities inside of SAP. But what Calibra, as an example, as, as one particular example, is really considered to be the catalog of all catalogs. So when you look mm -hmm. at the non-SAP data and yes. you want to have a single privacy yep. foundation across all different data sets, that's where we would then turn to maybe Calibra to provide that level of capability for the customers. Awesome. And I'm just going to, one more, if I may. But uh, I, I think also it's um, some of the, the conversation that I've been hearing as well is that we now start talking about bringing the technology to the data. Mm -hmm and not taking the data to where the technology sits. So I think that's one of the big differentiators. We've given up the idea that we must house all data in our persistence layer at SAP. So yeah, we get absolutely. to share I mean, the data. Just to give some, some context around the size and the scale, I mean, we have 70,000 HANA customers globally. Wow. If I was to aggregate the total amount of stories that we have under HANA systems, it's probably close to a half an exabyte worth of data. So that's 500 petabytes worth of data managed by SAP systems. Now, if you compare that maybe with a, I don't know, a Google BigQuery or any other very substantial large mass data lakes in, in, the, in the public or private cloud environments, they're order of, orders of magnitude larger. Mm. So it's not SAP's attempt to force customers mm. to have to bring all of the data, although we would love for them to put more data under HANA sure. systems as if they are, we're not forcing customers to have to do that. There is a huge evolution in data architectures and each and every one of the vendors that we described and will continue to evolve with, they're going to have a very significant place in the, in the customer data landscape. And our goal is, is to really provide one common business data fabric across all data without hesitating around, well, if it sits in this environment, you're essentially excluded from business value. And mm. of course, thank you so much, dear customer, you now need to move all the data to this particular environment to take any, any advantages. That's like such a, a 2000 or 2000 kind of era problem, right? We now mm. in the 2023 timeframe, mm -hmm. we don't want to force customers to have to do that redundantly. Yeah, and I love it because it, um, it, you know, it, it advances what customers are trying to do, right? So if I have an AI or ML, use case, or I'm trying to do some extended planning, or I'm trying to, you know, we use the right tool and technology, but we access the federated data for the right. Yeah, purpose. I mean, you, you gave a couple of very good use case examples. I mean, if we take, for example, the machine learning pursuits of customers, when you do the training uh, step in a model, you ultimately want to have the best context of that data. It's not about the amount of data, it's the quality of the data. And then of course, the more data you give it, the more accurate the models will become. Mm. And having a business data fabric developed, of course, delivered through a data sphere means that we're connecting a lot of those disparate data sets. And equally so on top of that, as you start looking at enterprise planning and 
The market now is talking about this being cross-planning and analysis, analytics rather. Mm -hmm. And XP&A is really a growing area for many customers where mm -hmm. maybe they want to tie financial planning with supply chain planning, with workforce planning. All of the components that you have within the planning domain is far more powerful to have them. And the pandemic taught us that. Mm -hmm. Supply chain disruptions were pretty much experienced by everybody. Yeah. And if we'd had the business data fabric, and of course, had we had the data sphere, although many customers took advantage of even the current capabilities of the data warehouse cloud, I'm sure there would have been even faster levels of recovery in some, some uh, companies or certain environments as well. Fantastic. Now, those connection of the data sets that you talked about, that would be a really good basis on which to build innovation. Can you tell us a little bit more about data and analytics and why it's important for innovation? I mean, that's a very, very good question. And I'll build upon maybe the answer I was just giving earlier around the whole of the pandemic proofing, if you want to call it that. Uh, having strong analytics, and let's call it more self-service analytics as opposed to just analytics. I mean, people, analytics is prevalent everywhere. I mean, Microsoft, Power BI, Excel, et cetera, it's everywhere. But what we tend to lose in translation is when people want to do self-service, they want to be able to look at trusted data. And when they look at trusted data, they want to preserve the context of that data and do so without being hindered by what data sets that they can access. So the governance and, of course, the accessibility to all data is important. Mm -hmm. So really, the data analytics foundations, there isn't a single customer that I speak to that doesn't have a strong data point of view or is not building one out or has fleshed one out and is now looking to evolve that data strategy. And with SAP, this is really such a timely opportunity because of the BTP services, the ability to have powered, of course, by SAP HANA Cloud, and then the evolution of some of these services that we're talking about here right now, it has its resonance and a sweet spot to all of our customers for the SAP data sets and most importantly for the non-SAP data sets as well. Rob, are you seeing any innovation here locally? Uh, I think all of our customers are trying to um, find some innovation in, in lots of different ways. The foundational path is obviously the, the data that they have and, and you know, the right sort of context around that. But... Um, you know, innovation happens in small pieces, I think. So we find people that are looking at perhaps a, a little business process or some automation. Um, they, they, they look to that. But they also want to, they, we also see where um, looking for new, you know, patterns or pathways to actually unlock some value in terms of the asset that they already have in their data. Yeah, well. so I think what you're yeah. describing is really important because the time to value and the time to market is yeah. incredibly important. And nobody's got the appetite or the desire to want to engage in a three-year project and then back and load that with value that comes right at the end once you've done all the different pieces, the jumping through the hoops and the cultural change and the change management that's necessary. People want to be able to ingest innovation in much more smaller bite-sized pieces and the time to value is an incredibly important att attribute as well. And it is. And I, and I think if you look at things like just smart data insights that we build into the tooling, we actually help people to find those patterns, find those pathways and, you know, get to some sort of decision point. Right. So we're making it easier to, I guess, you know, tap into some sort of innovation as well. Mm -hmm. Now, we said we were going to talk about partnerships and you mentioned Calibra. Now, I understand there are a number of other partners that we've also aligned with. Can you give us um, some details about those partners and then the reasons why? Yeah, absolutely. So when we took almost a blank sheet of paper and we defined the business data fabric for SAP, it became quite evident that whilst we have many, many assets within our SAP portfolio, most customers have either elected to go a certain way 
or are elaborating on certain options which may be driven by best of reads in the current market. So now, once again, representing the customer stack and putting our customer hat on, it become quite evident that when we look at vendors like Calibra for governance, lineage, privacy, that they are considered to be the best of breed, right, in that, in that space. Other partnerships that we created for the purposes of this, um, of the of not just the announcement, but more importantly for the evolution of SAP's data position, is that we look at vendors like Databricks as an example. So Databricks is a very, very interesting history. I mean, firstly, Databricks is founded on the principles of open source. And there are three very significant open source projects that have been effectively, I would say, productized and monetized from, from Databricks, and but then at the same time really innovated upon. So one is Spark, Spark Compute, which is a way of being able to deal with very large, significant uh, data-centric problems but have a very cost-effective process where you can use uh, compute resources and, of course, storage foundations in a simplified way, so, so Spark or Manage Spark. The second piece they have is something called MLflow, and this is all about machine learning. So as you build the capabilities of a machine learning foundation, you need to have some tooling, and this is another open-source project that's part of Databricks. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, if you take a look at Python, which is becoming incredibly important now for most machine learning professionals that are out there, they kind of put all these three pieces together and they've created something called the Delta Lake. The Delta Lake is, it sort of sits in between a traditional data warehouse and a data lake. So think of that lake house now, as they call it. The lake house is bridging across the two. Now we view, of course, Databricks being a very significant player, not just in machine learning, but as they look for building out foundational work with SAP, they typically will take a large amount of data maybe coming from source systems like SAP, landing it inside their Delta Lake, and then running those machine learning foundations on top. So our desire is, of course, is to make it easy for those customers. Why would we make it a heavy lift? Better to have some level of integration between Databricks and, of course, SAP. And that's the operative word here, by the way. There is a level of integration. From an R&D perspective, we wanted to have a much more not just a pleasant user experience, but a functional user experience when you look at all of these different partnerships that we announced. So Databricks very much used for the machine learning capabilities. And then the other two quick partnerships, one is DataRobot, once again in the machine learning space. They are really, really becoming prevalent as they want to have context, business context. Take Imagine you take data from an SAP a supply chain system and you bring it into machine learning foundations and at the same time DataRobot to be able to elaborate upon define a very, very precise machine learning uh, algorithm, and then drop it back into SAP, redeploy it back into SAP with a lot more context and a lot more sort of sophistication with accuracy. And then the final one here that we also look at is Confluent. Confluent is another significant partner that we see in the streaming space. So when you think about high velocity systems, think about an IoT environment, think about a manufacturing environment where data is being produced at a very significant rate, and you want to be able to stream that data using Kafka, which is yet another open source foundation, you'll be able to have a far greater data experience with SAP. So maybe just a recap there. Number one, we are fully embracing the data ecosystem. Mm -hmm. We're looking to reflect the customer stack as opposed to the just the SAP stack as it may have been historically. And you can sense why I gave that little bit of detail about open source. We know open source is playing such a significant part now, whether it's Kafka, whether it's ML foundations, or whether it's going to be elsewhere in the Delta Lake. We are looking at these really adding additional value to SAP. Yeah, really pleasing to see that we're actually taking the feedback from customers and, and putting it into our research and development and producing something that actually makes sense for our customers now. 
Um, so, Rob, can you just talk about a little bit about data and analytics in the context of the business uncertainty we've been experiencing? So, obviously, we've come out of the pandemic and then, you know, we've been ups and downs with all sorts of other things, the financial markets, et cetera. Give us a little bit of insight as to what data and analytics can give us. Yeah, I, I think, um, Rishenka, that, um, you know, data analytics and, you know, and particularly around what we're doing with with Datasphere, I, I think... Again, it just speaks to the the problem statement that I've been hearing from our customers about being able to source the SAP data, being able to bring that together, you know, not necessarily physically, you know, or persistence, but virtually um, in a federated model across all of their other different data sets as well. So mm -hmm. um, I think data and analytics of what we're delivering from SAP and this announcement and uh, around Datasphere really helps us to um, address that address that problem for them and and and, and take it a, a, a take it a lot further in terms of what we've been able to do before you just mentioned about how we're listening to our customers and taking on that feedback that, that this for me really speaks speaks to that we actually wanting to give them a good experience make it easier for them and the partnerships really sort of enhance on that as well so you know there's technical there's r d integration um, and i believe we're not stopping we're actually taking this even further um, to across to address more across our customers' data um, landscape as well. Our experience in ANZ has actually been quite, I'd say, quite good in terms of data and analytics. Um, we've had a lot of our customers who are adopting SAC, so our um, SAP Analytics Cloud, offering quite uh, substantially. But a lot of increasingly sort of moving into that planning sphere as well. It's a great differentiation that we have in that uh, in that product. Um, and, you know, doing the, you know, integrated planning, the financial planning, you know, workforce planning, human resources, et cetera, it's like, it's, you know, we're really seeing an uptick in terms of what folks are doing. Yeah, I think maybe I like your, your final point there. I mean, if you look at any economy right now, I mean, the macroeconomic trends are quite, quite uh, unfortunately similar across the globe. Uh, I, came, I came from the UK yesterday and I can assure you that UK's problems are not unique and of mm. course Australia's problems in ANZ and whatnot are, are very similar but what we tend to find is if there's any one single value add that we can take away from the pandemic was that how important it is to have a 360 view of your data and that's particularly in the supply chain I mean I, I did some yeah. some construction work during the pandemic and it's odd to see now even though we're now almost a year after or two years after from the recovery perspective supply chains still haven't recovered and a lot of that is because the level of insight and the level of of a value add that you need to be able to look at from your entire supply chain and you know when we look at it from an sap portfolio perspective you know we have solutions like ariba which is a business network mm. we have many many other areas of sap's intelligent enterprise and the data sphere this is the other piece not to lose in translation data sphere has as much applicability to sap as it does to any other end customers out there we want to tie all of the underlying assets of SAP. So whether that's hmm. CRM data coming out of our CX platforms, going into, of course, Ariba and, of course, S4 on the back end, we want to link all data together. So therefore, we are by far, if I look at my internal line of business uh, stakeholders, we have a huge level of obligation to help integrate all of SAP's assets and SAP's data and then give, of course, every customer out there and every partner out there as well, a first class experience as they look at SAP data, but contextualize it with the non-SAP data as well. I think, um, you know, to, picking up on your point as well, just sort of the, the um, economic environment, right? Interest rates, inflationary pressures, you know, 
I think the other aspect of all of this is how can we do this commercially in a very cost-effective way mm -hmm. so we can actually allow customers to take advantage of the innovations that we're actually bringing to market, right? So, um, again, I like the collab the collaboration and the partnerships that we're bringing so we get best of breed, you know, and actually you're able to deliver something that they can tap into quickly. Yeah, I mean, you touched on once again, it's interesting that you talked about the commercialization mm. of how is it that you adopt such technologies. And I would imagine that from the historical point of view, SAP's past maybe experience or customers' past experience was it's a, sometimes could be considered to be difficult sometimes to be able to justify upfront value mm. until you go through a very substantial business case. And with the business technology platform really being the platform of SAP, extending the value of all of SAP applications, particularly with RISE now, so many mm. customers are now embarking upon a RISE journey, this is really given a lot more value to partners and to customers to take day one value, not day one cost. Yes. There's a huge distinction between the two mm. because SAP now has, of course, in many cases with BTP, has a full-blown consumption uh, type of commercial construct. So you could take an a la carte approach where you don't quite know what use cases you need, but you know you need BTP. Mm. So therefore you can effectively take on BTP credits and then elaborate upon your use cases and then utilize whatever services that you need. If you know precisely what you need, then you can just take out a subscription or maybe like a data warehouse cloud or now, of course, now as it's been launched as DataSphere. Mm -hmm. And then if you're really wanting to just dip your toe in, we have freemium versions, we have pay-as-you-go. So SAP really is operating at a commercial level. Hopefully that gives everybody an ability to use SAP's capabilities and combining it within their day-to-day -day activities. Wonderful. It's awesome. And uh, of course, all of our current data warehouse cloud customers, they already go to their consoles, their dashboards, and they see it now as data sphere. So it's already switched on, available um, 2 a.m. last Thursday morning when it was launched. So it was a great initiative, I think, from SAP. Yeah. Brilliant. So we talked about uncertainty, but uh, if you could pull out your crystal ball and, and see what the future holds for data and analytics, what would that be, Evan? I mean, clearly anybody's reading any publications these days are, are seeing chat GPT just about everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing the intent, and we've been talking somewhat about digital assistance and uh, having the ability to go along the lines of being more intuitive in natural language search and interactions. That will become the de facto user experience. Uh, and I think now we have enough insight and enough capabilities to be able to join up all these different data, at data attributes and data sets. I think that will certainly be one element. So the user experience will be much more intuitive. The other element is that when we look at operational data systems, they've historically been very much uh, looking in the rear view mirror. There's not a lot of connection, not a lot of connective tissue that ties future decision making or forecasting or predictive value to what the operational data is. And this is precisely why we feel now Datasphere is such an important milestone to reach for our customers. So really looking into the crystal ball, I see a lot more intuitive AI, the ability to tie up a lot of the user experiences that we have probably being much more language based, much more natural language based, and then equally so not leaving any data behind. You are effectively looking at data in a virtualized business data fabric layer. And that means that all data decisions should be much more accurate and a lot more fortuitous for the, for the companies. And Rob, any closing comments from you? Uh, look, I, I can't really speak to the R&D, the, the product development side that uh, Irfan does, but um, I, th I think it is exciting. And one of the last points I think you raised there, you know, there are no prisoners. We take everything forward. And I think with Datasphere, we unlock all data for all users, for all purposes and all different use cases. So um, 
I, I think the experience for SAP customers is going to be a really good one um, as, as we roll forward after the, the uh, launch, launch of uh, Datasphere. And um, I, I think the future is bright. Yeah, loving it. Great. Thank you very much for joining me, both of you. And thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, you've been listening to the Best Run podcast brought to you by SAP. Thank you. You've been listening to the Best Run podcast brought to you by SAP.